1: 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network.
2: Welcome in. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. It's primary day in California. Woo-woo! Primary hasn't really meant much in California so late in the season to the national debate since Bobby Kennedy. Uh, It's been a while, to say the least. A lot of people are calling for Bernie Sanders to step down as he won't have the votes per se, but one of the nice things about sticking around is you get to stick around and you get to say things like, "Uh, I want free lunch money or I want free college. And Hillary should take note of, you know, some of the issues, as should Donald Trump, should take note of some of the issues that people are saying they're in support of because then they can build their national platform um, after their conventions. So I'm not for anyone stepping down. Now, when you have, you know, 14 people in the Republican Party, it's not a lot of messages get built. Um, But I would like to see more candidates uh, represent more people uh, out there because I don't think we're... Our two-party system just seems silly to me in the United States. It's too, too divisive. So elsewhere out there, the non-farm productivity uh, number that came out today, it's a big economic piece of data. It fell less sharply than previously thought in the first quarter. Productivity, which measures hourly output per worker, contracted at an annual rate of six-tenths percent instead of one percent. So we're revising some of these stories out there. Um, Revising some of our numbers is probably the best way of saying that. So the markets are playing with all-time highs on the S&P 500. Uh, We may or may not get there. We're at intraday highs for the year, so that's kind of nice. It won't get you anything but a cute sticker or maybe a tattoo, like, "Hey, my S&P 500 fund hit an intraday high this year." It's not an award. It's kind of silly. Dow Jones 30 is playing with 18,000. Don't you like that playing with? Don't tickle me. Don't tickle me. The Dow 30 is playing with 18,000. Big round numbers. It's 17,993. Big round numbers mean what? You can get a big tattoo that says, I own the Dow at 18,000. Maybe a sticker that you can put on your car window or something. But it won't pay you more in retirement, it won't get you checks maybe it'll get you chicks, I don't know, so, NASDAQ down two, two, why's the NASDAQ down, that's upsetting me, uh, crude oil, crude oil's above 50, dun, 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 who killed, who killed crude oil in the library with a candlestick, uh, gold's down four, I read in a case from a technical analyst that says buy gold here, it's it's coiled spring. It should go higher. And I'm just like blah 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 blah. Um, I'm not into the I'm not in the gold camp, so I like owning companies. I don't like owning metals. So, and with that said, I I can honestly tell you like I'm not a chick. But if I were a chick, diamonds don't mean much to me. That's gold. Much to, That's gold. To, me. to me, a diamond is a rock. Um, I think there's prettier rocks out there, but I think we've been sold a bill of goods on that, but that's me. Uh, one of the things I mentioned earlier or later, uh, depending on when you're listening to the show is, you know, oil prices are at 50 European markets had some nice gains today. Um, encouraging industrial production, China's foreign exchange reserves for may were largely in line with expectations. One of the things I mentioned was that the markets are kind of getting this sense of kind of almost you have to be in them. We're getting, they're getting squeezed higher because the press is out there going, Dow 18,000, S&P 500, intraday highs. And if you've ever watched a suicide squeeze on, walls, on, on in baseball, it is a sight to behold, right? It's filled with tension. It involves a binary outcome. The runner trying to make it home from third base will either be safe or out. There's no middle ground. Um, oftentimes, in investing and in life, you can get a middle ground uh, there isn 't a lot of tension out there on the surface of things because choosing the middle ground is makes you kind of neutral so and you can kind of swing higher and go a little bit lower um, so money managers and mutual fund managers they have to beat the market. Going back to 1929, the S&P 500, excluding dividends, has been unchanged for the year only five times. In other words, the success rate of having a neutral stance is lowly 5.8% since 1929. So you have to lean one way. There's a lot of different variants. Investors are told regularly to take a motion out of their decision. It's pretty good advice, in my opinion. I think uh, if you're 20 and you could start a 401k and you could put money into it, I think you're going to be pretty well off. Um, But people tend to take into account sentiment and thoughts, and um, that's where you get into trouble. So it could, you know, writing it out for a lot of people is torture because they want to make as much money as they can, but they also want to get out as soon as they can so they are not quote-unquote lose paper money. So the long-term average for bullish sentiment is about 38.5%. Right now, there's only about 17.8% of people who are bullish, but the long-term average is 38.5%. And that's worthy of note. Um, you know, you tend to find market bottoms when people are aren't excited where they're like i don't think the market's going to go higher and that's kind of where we're at right now with 18.9 percent of people saying i don't think it can go higher so bearishly speaking we're at about 29.4 percent bearish are people who think the market's going to go lower and the market goes lower three out of ten years it goes higher seven out of ten years which odds do you like more over the next 40 years long 28 up years, short, 12 down years. Um, Over the next 10 weeks, what's going to happen? I think we move higher because I think people are too negative right now, and they're not expecting anything. And that can create what's called the short squeeze, which again, in baseball is pretty damn exciting. In investing, people who think the market's going to go lower, they can see the market go 1% higher, 2% higher, 3% 3% higher, they start getting nervous. 4% higher, they start getting sweaty. 5% higher, now they're starting to really panic. So they throw money into it because they don't want to be down at 0% returns for the year when the market's up 5 6% higher, 7% higher, 8% higher. And now, you know, everyone's like, woohoo, did you see how much money Rob made on Wall Street this year by being in the market? And they start coming on late. And that's when it starts to become problems is the momentum side of it. There's a lot going on right now. The UK voters are likely to vote in favor of remaining in the EU. If they don't, that would be a big foo bar, right? Um, we don't know what would happen. The Federal Reserve says they're data dependent. The data got a little bit weaker, but if they raised interest rates, we'd go, like, we don't know what's that to happen because we thought the data was getting weaker. So a lot of individual investors sitting on the fence right now So a lot of investors, professional investors, are jumping in the market. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show.
1: now 800-516-1220 that's 800-516-1220 now back to rob black and your money on am 1220 kdow
2: are you ready to rumble are you Billionaire long-term investor, a guy named Ron Barron, said today "The Tesla could be a stock that he owns for the next 10 to 20 years. He thinks it's one investment he can make 6 or $7 billion on. Rum, rum. I think this could be one of the largest companies in the United States and the whole world, so says Barron. In a wide-ranging interview, he also said the overst- overall stock market is cheap at current levels. In the last three years, he's acquired $300 million in Tesla, with an average price of about 210 buckaroos. So they've made very little so far, in his opinion. Tesla's right around 220 right now. He says, I go there every three or four months, I look at the factory and see how much it's changing. He said he's investing in Tesla, CEO Elon Musk and the 14,000 workers at the electric car factory. The competition is not anywhere, he says. Tesla could have, or competition could have caught Tesla four or five years ago, but they can't catch it now. He's too far ahead. Last month, Tesla raised $1.4 billion, ultimately issuing 6.8 million new shares. The price was lower than the previous sale at $242 per share in August, and below a year-high 286 in July. Tesla seeking to help finance a plan to expand production to 500,000 vehicles by 2018. Included a major rollout of the less expensive Model 3 sedan. Keep in mind, we're about seventeen, seventeen and a half million dollars, uh, seventeen and a half million vehicles sold per year in the U.S. So he wants to get to five hundred thousand. Um, <clears throat> will he dip into equity again? Will Elon Musk have to issue more shares? He's been burning cash, so uh, Tesla will continue to grow rapidly, though. They're going to be doing $20 billion in sales next year. So says Barron. He says $20 billion. Right now they're doing about 8 or $9 billion. Last year they did 5 or $6 billion. He said pointing to Tesla's upcoming $5 billion mega battery factory, which is being built in Reno. They've got an investment from Panasonic with it. They can do as much in sales and batteries ultimately as they can in cars. So that's... A billionaire's opinion. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Drop me an email. Rob at com. Netflix is expanding its service to 130 countries, and that's why uh, Morgan Stanley likes the company. Because typically around year three of expansion is when, you know, people start going, hey, did you see that new Netflix show? Hey, did you see Netflix? Hey, did you see that? Netflix is about to get all the Disney shows. Um, so Morgan Stanley is predicting that it's going to add 2.5 million subscribers in the current quarter. 500,000 will come from the US. Um, and it takes about three years to start ramping up anytime they go into any new market. But they also said the value of existing cut subscribers are powerful. And that's because Netflix just raised its prices, but still has more than half of its US subscribers paying below the current rate because they signed up before the latest increases. It plans to spend the rest of 2016 rolling those members into higher rate plans. The domestic average return per user is poised to accelerate as more grandfathered pricing expires in third quarter 2016. Um, Increasing the return per user helps increase the upside potential. Just throwing it out there for you. People are spending less time on media apps, social media apps. Um, A research company compared Android users users daily time spent on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Um, Looked at the US, UK, Germany, Spain, Australia, India, South Africa, Brazil, and Spain. Facebook's Instagram saw the biggest year-over-year drop. I've never signed up for Instagram. Should I? Do you really care about what I'm seeing on a day-by-day basis? Um, Twitter's usage down 23% year-over-year. Snapchat down 15.7%. Facebook down 8%. So in the U.S., you know, that's the most lucrative market to all those companies. Twitter stock is trading down. Facebook stock is up. So, um, Facebook users in the United States continue to spend the most time using the app, about 45 minutes and 29 seconds every day. That's crazy. So, anyway, just throwing that out there as far as social media goes, in case you care. The Playboy Playboy Mansion was sold to Twinkie's owner. Can you imagine, (laughs) first and foremost, owning the iconic Playboy Mansion? But second but now the owner is not gonna be Hugh Hefner, but Hugh Hafner's allowed to live there until he dies. It was put on sale for roughly two hundred million dollars, twenty thousand square feet. You do the math on that to come up with the price per square foot. Hafner's ninety Hafner he, Hafner? Why does that sound funny? Hugh Hefner Hafner is ninety years old and he's allowed to live in it for the rest of his life. No matter what you think about Playboy you think of Hugh Hefner and you go like that's an American story. Um, maybe good or bad, depending on your taste in life, but Playboy Mansion has twelve bedrooms, sits on five acres of land, and comes with a cave like grotto and importantly, a zoo license, just in case you need to open up a zoo. The Golden State Warriors and Cleveland Cavaliers aren't the only organizations battling out in the finals. So are Nike and Under Armour. The NFL Finals is the most public venue yet of the intensifying battle of the apparel giant Nike on this side uh, with LeBron James and smaller rival and smaller player, Steph Curry from the Warriors. Um, Under Armour grows, and they're throwing more resources at their athletes. So a $280 million deal to set up apparel at the University of California, L.A. last month, Under Armour did. So this is a battle. The growth rate, Under Armour is the winner. Last year, Under Armour chalked up 29% revenue growth. Um, Nike, just 8.2%, but Nike's so much bigger. Valuation, Nike's the winner. Under Armour trades at almost 70 times its earnings, which is pretty damn crazy. So buy it whenever it falls 10, 20, 30 points. Nike, on the other hand, is trading for about 25 times earnings, which makes it more expensive than the stock market, but damn it, they're Nike. Um, and they make billions of dollars. Nike's probably the winner in stability. So, um, Under Armour burned through a lot of cash. Nike generate a lot of cash. Nike generated $2.1 billion in free cash in the last 12 months. Nike continues to develop new technology that keeps the brand fresh and relevant. Um, Flyknit cloth technology for shoes. Um, It goes for a premium price, but it's also less costly to produce since it's a single piece instead of multiple pieces of fabric that are put together. Um, So, pretty impressive. 18-month price target on... Nike's about $71 on average. On Under Armour, it's about $49. That gives them both 30% upside. That gives them both outperforms in my book. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Don't forget i got events coming up where I give out dallies of information like this. You can sign up for the next event coming up in Burlingame at RobBlackShow.com. That's RobBlackShow.com.
1: Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on
2: AM 1220 KDOW. Well, Joining me now from briefing.com, I start every morning reading his columns. Patrick O'Hare, Mr. O'Hare, how are you?
0: Hi, Rob. I'm doing well. It's good to be back with you.
2: It's kind of a happy days are here again. We're flirting with all-time highs on the S&P 500, intraday highs on the S&P 500. The Dow's got a big, nice, round number that it's closing in on. NASDAQ, not so much, but it's getting there, pushing towards 5,000. Tell me things are great and we deserve these record highs.
0: (laughs) Well, that uh, lead-in song was appropriate because, uh, I mean, the market certainly has some sunshine in its pocket right now. (laughs) And, uh, it just feels like dancing, right? And so you've got, uh, certainly a lot of worries that are out there, but the market continues to trade right up through those worries and it's you know, climbing this proverbial wall of worry again. And, um, you know, you have to take a step back and look at things, uh, objectively here and, and respect the, the market's behavior. Um, and I think it's really, you know, underlying all this is this, um, burgeoning expectation that, you know, the economy and the earnings outlook will certainly pick up as the year progresses, and uh, a few of the contributing factors to that mindset are the are the fact that the dollar has weakened, uh, and oil prices have gone up, and you have long-term interest rates that remain low, you know, which should ultimately feed into attractive mortgage rates uh, and help uh, drive, you know, housing demand and so, uh, you know, the market certainly seems to be buying into this idea right now, and you're seeing it, you know, show up uh, predominantly in the outperformance of the small caps, uh, as well as the strong showing from many of the cyclical sectors of late.
2: Now, one of the things that, obviously, if Janet Yellen keeps interest rates low, it, like you said, it helps keep mortgage debt low. It keeps other type of, uh, not mortgage debt, but mortgage interest rates low, uh, keeps things positive. But... We have a lot of debt that's tied towards that, which is negative, even if interest rates are low. And then you get into the whole wheat and chafe thing where, you know, I can drop money on a new car. I can drop money on a vacation home. But should people be buying, dropping money on new cars, vacation homes in this economy that we're in?
0: Well, you know, I, I think it comes down certainly to, you know, what their income is going to allow them to do. Um, I think it, this is a great time to be... You know, borrowing money at fixed rates certainly, um, and depending on you know what type of payback horizon you're looking at, you, know, you can even argue that it's okay to borrow money right now, even in a variable rate structure, because you know what we're hearing from the Federal Reserve is that even if they are going to raise rates, it's going to be at a at a gradual pace, uh, and that the, the the neutral Fed funds rate is likely to be you know considerably lower than it has been throughout history. Um, so. Uh, you know, so the, the, the one of the knocks, though, on what's going on here with rates being down and having remained low for so long is that you're effectively pulling forward future demand, uh, such that when, uh, you, you know, the Fed tries to extricate itself from its extraordinary monetary policy, you know, you still see, you know, relatively weak economic growth in the future because that demand's been pulled forward here. So it's it's just a, obviously a very interesting time, but, you know, rates remain at very attractive levels here for borrowers. Uh, you're starting to see that, you know, pick up, again, on the corporate issuance side. And, you know, and you can also, you know, look toward Europe, again, as another example of, of you know, the ECBs out there. I think they're about to begin their corporate bond purchase program uh, tomorrow and you look at the yield on the German 10-year bond and it's it's practically zero. I mean it's, it's just extraordinary and so you have that reach for yield but uh with interest rates remaining low there's going to continue to be, you know, quite an appetite I think uh in the corporate sector anyway to borrow money and in terms of the consumer sector that appetite will be driven, you know, ideally by increased uh wage growth and we're starting to see some of that and so uh, so it could be a good thing ultimately here as the year progresses if uh, consumers do feel good about wage growth sticking and and even more importantly uh, feel good about uh, job security. And those two things should translate into a pickup for um, increased loan demand that could help drive, you know, better economic activity.
2: You keep a calm and cool collected tone when you say interest rates are extraordinarily low. Um, if I were to if we were to go back 20 years, you and I would say we we would bet the interest rate you couldn't get a 30-year mortgage for 3.8% in the United States 20 years later. Um, can you craft a like a more crazy response to why it's bad that interest rates are this low?
0: Well, you know the the biggest drawback of course is that it hurts it hurts savers and um, in interest rates Remaining as low as they are, it, uh, um, you know, makes it very difficult for people to save for retirement, uh, and you probably have been hearing how it makes it difficult for pension funds to essentially, you know, match their, you know, future liabilities, uh, with, you know, uh, uh, with higher yielding assets today, because they just don't have that that yield there that they're going to need to meet those future liabilities, and that you know potentially you have a pension crisis brewing in the future um, because of that uh, mismatch. But um, so that yeah, I mean there's there's it's not a perfect world, obviously with interest rates as being low uh, in the here and now, and probably in the very short term, if if a consumer is thinking about. You know, buying a home, um, you know, I would argue that it's a great opportunity to to buy one, you know, at a low fixed rate. Um, and then, obviously, depending on, uh you know, their circumstances, how long they plan to be in that home, if it's a short time, then, you know, there's probably a good window of opportunity still to even borrow, you know, on an adjustable rate. So, um there are positives and negatives but we certainly have seen uh that it, it's been clear that this very low interest rate environment though has not been the the ticket to faster and stronger economic growth um and in some respects i think it has scared some a lot of consumers uh into saving more um because of you know what it really ultimately says about the the broader economic landscape and um you know and and consumers who are out there worried about saving for retirement are are uh, you know afraid to get invested in the stock market given the volatility there and and it's been very difficult because their alternatives are are either high risk alternatives in the high yield market or you simply have to you know set aside you know more money in cash which obviously isn't yielding really anything after inflation so uh, so it is a tough environment in that respect
2: oil across the fifty dollar I'm barrel marked today, and I'm trying to write some news stories for television. I'm trying to say, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Because I do a segment called Winners and Losers, Yeah. and it's the at old age problem of um, age old problem of it's both. It's good because it's showing some demand from the world. It's bad because it's you know probably not over. It's probably oversupply. Um, where are we in the debate on where oil is and how important and what direction we want it to go in?
0: Well, I think from a stock market standpoint, which is obviously how I'm looking at things, uh, the bump in oil prices has been a good thing uh, in 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 knowing that it, it should lead to upward earnings revisions for the energy sector. And the energy sector has obviously been a major drag on um, the overall earnings performance. And so as you take a step back and you, you know, uh, observe that, you know, how the market is behaving today is a reflection of how it feels, how things are going to be in the second half of the year. And, and one of the main tenets there is this idea that earnings growth is going to pick up. Well, that flows in large part from what's going on with oil prices and how it's going to translate into better earnings performance from the energy sector. So um, so that's a, a positive thing. Um, you know, I think, a large, in large part, a lot of what we've seen in terms of the pickup in oil prices uh, has been driven by, on the supply side, frankly, and that you've seen a lot of uh, producers shut in production, you know, a lot of rigs coming offline, um, and there's been a real concerted effort to cut back on production, and that's helping to, to improve the narrative there and to help drive oil prices higher along with the weaker dollar um, and, and let's face it, probably some pure speculation, uh, you know, amongst momentum traders just playing this trend, um, but, uh, but you do hit an inflection point, I think at some point, you know, when we talk about how the, the drop in oil prices from over a hundred dollars a barrel all the way down to $26 a barrel was, was going to be the great thing for the, for consumer spending, um, leading to higher levels of disposable income, and. And sure, there's some truth to that, but obviously you have higher prices for other things like, you know, health care, for instance, uh, rent, which is going up. So it kind of cuts into some of those uh, savings that you get um, out of that drop in oil prices and gas prices. Uh, and now that you've got oil and gas prices starting to creep up again, um, when you know that the consumer hasn't really come out and spent freely when they've been coming down, it does, you know, lead to some concern that they might, again, pull back knowing that they're you know they're going back up again uh, but the thing that you need to see to help kind of offset that potential hurdle is is an increase in wage growth and you are starting to see some vestiges of higher wage growth uh, and and that's a good thing so so we're kind of in a neutral position right now I think as it relates to oil prices and gas prices and what it could ultimately mean for consumer spending but I think in a broader view, uh, it's going to mean good things for certainly the energy sector's earnings, and that's going to be a good thing overall, I think, for S&P 500 earnings and can help sort of mitigate some of these concerns about a high valuation for the S&P 500 right now.
2: I'll let you get back to work, but I do want to mention that your page one column is where I start my day each and every day. And there's little things in there, there's little nuggets like getting squeezed into the market, which was tied towards a your big picture, your big picture column on Friday—that it's just invaluable. It's we have to stop and remind ourselves there's a lot of positives out there, even when the economic tone may be a little bit muted. It's uh, Patrick O'Hare. You can find him at briefing.com. It's briefing.com. Um, really intelligent writing uh, in a tone that's not going to get you excited or flustered. Um, tied towards the market. CNBC flusters me. Briefing.com enlightens me. I'm Rob Black. You can find more at Briefing.com or RobBlackShow.com.
1: You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220, KDOW on the iHeartRadio app.
2: I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Let's rifle through some of the news of the day. Um, 6.6 trillion reasons the U.S. might be nearing a recession. It's called debt, and you can stimulate an economy. But with debt, but sometimes at some point you have to pay it back um, the West coast, the California Golden State is holding its primary today. I don't think anyone could tell you the last time that a California primary meant anything. Um, it was probably Bobby Kennedy. We're pretty much so an afterthought in the race for the White House um, but it's national news today and that shouldn't stop us from, you know, thinking about various issues. Are you a Team Clinton like Katy Perry or Tony Bennett or Brian Cranston? Do you like the Sanders camp like Spike Lee, Rosario Dawson, Patton Oswalt, or Dick Van Dyke? I know you're saying, Dick Van Dyke, refresh me, please. Um, yeah, that's kind of how California Dreamin', right? So there's a strange surprise of seeing presidential candidates actually care about California because usually they don't. So the Golden State Warriors hosted Sanders and they made a comeback, and he's like, "Hey, looks just like me." Uh, former President Bill Clinton visited, you know, In-N-Out Burger the same day that Sanders was at the Golden State Warriors game because In-N-Out Burger is a very California thing. Cajole us, cajole us. Um, look like we look. Do what we do. Um, California isn't, you know, a lot of money's not being spent yet in the state. Um, but, you know, Pandora's head of sales, Sean Dugan, he recently was quoted. He said, we're already seeing buying activity happen for the fall, given our reach of almost 10 million monthly voting age listeners in California. So this will mean that ad time that might usually go to local candidates or propositions, you know, propositions like legalizing recreational marijuana, Uh, They're going to get pushed to cable or to radio. Um, So the online angle is going to be big between Trump and, I'm presuming, Clinton. Um, Facebook's going to be pretty big. So you're going to see total ad spending on digital of $160 million plus. So um, it's picking up. Um, $160 million. I know you're saying... Basically, we buy a president. <laughs> we kind of do. So this year, nearly 7 million houses are at risk in hurricane season. And, you know, people, I remember moving to California 15 years ago, and every one of these guys like, they've got earthquakes there. And, you know, knock on fake wood. Uh, I've felt one in 15 years. Uh, I was told there was a second one, but I didn't feel it. Maybe my body is just blubberous to the point that it, it automatically shifts with a shake, right? Um, but if all 6.8 or 7 million homes get knocked down due to the Atlantic and Gulf Coast um, storm season that's just starting up and you turn on TV now and you'll see like meteorologists are pointing out Tampa's about to get hit, blah, 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 blah. It's $1.5 trillion risk. Is it going to get hit? $1.5 trillion? Probably not. But hopefully if your home gets swept away, you end up in Oz because you know what to do, right? Get those ruby slippers, throw the water on the wedge. Stay away from the poppy field. Um, And evil monkeys are still flying creepy evil monkeys. Um, John Oliver took a $14 million bite out of medical debt. This was pretty interesting what he did. I, I think I went from being a Colbert fan When Colbert was on Comedy Central to being a John Oliver fan, the moment he left the Daily Show and went to HBO, he just does smart television, and he's allowed to use the curse words. So medical debt got a little less painful for about 9,000 consumers, but there's 43 million Americans that it's a big, 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 big problem for. Oliver canceled out almost $15 million of medical debt as part of a segment digging into the billion-dollar debt-buying industry. This is where it gets kind of fun, the debt-buying industry. Debt buyers purchase delinquent debt from creditors for pennies on the dollar. Then they make their own attempts to collect. Um, and there's a lot of zombie collections that go on. So he spent um, $50 to in Mississippi, setting up Central Asset Recovery Professionals, CARP, after the bottom feeding fish. They went on to purchase $15 million in debt for less than $60,000. Instead of collecting the money, the company that he started, CARP, the Central Asset Recovery Professionals, donated the money to RIP Medical Debt, a nonprofit that specializes in wiping out medical debt with no tax consequences for the debtor. His gesture is just a drop in the bucket, though. Now, isn't that crazy that he can buy $15 million of debt for $60,000? It's been written off by the, the, the doctor, and it's been sold million for $60,000. Nearly 43 million Americans, one in five of those who have a credit report, have a medical debt that's hurting their credit. For 15 million of those consumers, medical debt is the only collection item on their report. This is clearly a big, big, big problem. The average report on medical debt is roughly about $579. Nike's doing something that makes them a bit of a Richard. They're suing an athlete that was theirs that's jumping from their contract over to New Balance. One of America's best Olympic-running prospects attended a track meet in Los Angeles last month. He got served a lawsuit from Nike. 23-year-old um, uh, violated his swoosh endorsement deal when he agreed to be the sponsorship by New Balance Athletics and declined what Nike would describe as a matching offer. So Nike's known for the pursuit aggressively of athletes and coaches and such that, uh, you know, to throw a lawsuit on someone that you're in a relationship with or used to be in a relationship with, there's a lot of tensions out there. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You can find me at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.